Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. You know, we're, we're young, you know, and we're, we're, going, we're going to be able to figure it out. You gotta have, take some punches and you gotta be able to, um, adjust through it all. And I think that the 99 yard drive with, you know, most people would give in, give in, give up. Um, but that's not us. And, um, and that's going to pay off. You know, that's going to pay off, I believe, the next time in the fourth quarter, the next opportunity we get, the next time early on in the game when we get a chance. And it shows that we can do it. You know, and just, uh, like I said, the margin of error is, is, is very, very small. And, um, and those are things that we can fix and fine-tune. Um, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to, to turning it around for us. All right, that was Russell Wilson talking about the game last night. Rough game for the Seahawks. They're 0-2. They lose 24-17. He had a crucial pick six late in that game. When yep. you hear Russell Wilson talk, what do you think? Like, just in um, Nice guy. Like, maybe too nice. <laughs> right. He, does. he sounds, like, really uh, calculated and cliched when he's up there. Like, I think – I don't think you could – Try like I don't think if you wanted to, if you wanted to say I want to talk in all cliches, mm-hmm. if you could do it more than he does, then he does it right. But I do feel like that's the message that you want to be portrayed after a game like that's your after C- that's your start. CEO. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's more of a politician. Yeah, like because you see politicians, you're like, is that guy genuine? Is he real? Is he fake? And you don't know what you're actually getting. That's why I think what you have to play even more is the role of franchise quarterback. And I think that's what you just got right there. He is selling some bill that he wants to try to pass through Congress right there. Yeah, and you're a lot of people are like, well, I don't know if this thing looks any good. This could cost us a lot. It's that's what he's selling right there because this. For the first two games, this looks really bad for the Seahawks. Yeah, he's been sacked six times in both games. That's that's not very good. Um, but the one thing that I took away from all of the cliches, I, to your point, I wasn't like, buying it. If I was one of his constituents, <laughs> right. I wouldn't be buying that necessarily. But the one part that I did buy uh, that I think was true about this particular Seattle team is their margin for error is very, very, very slim. Like, they just do not have – the more talented you are, the more weapons you have, the larger your margin for error. The more you can kind of screw around um, and figure out a way to pull it out just because, quite frankly, you're better than the other team. They don't have the luxury of being able to do that probably in one single game on their schedule this year. So things have to be detail-oriented. They have to be every play like it's your last play, every play a perfect play. You know you have those practices where you're trying to have the perfect play? Yep. Like that, it's essentially what they've got to do to have a chance to win games. So if there was one thing that I took away from what he said, it was that he was right. Like their margin for error is super small. I knew this team was rebuilding. Like it was very clear when they trade away Richard Sherman, when they part ways with Michael Bennett, when they, you know, start making all these changes on the defensive side of the ball, you're like, all right, this is going to be a rebuild year. Even with that being said, I still thought this team had a chance to be good because of that guy, because Russell Wilson, I feel is one of those players, one of those quarterbacks. And there's only a handful of them in the NFL that can lift his team, no matter what the roster is around him, can make them that much better. Here's where I kind of feel like I might be wrong on that one, because I still think Russell Wilson is an, is a top five, top six quarterback, and he's really close to being in the same conversation as Brady, Breeze, Roethlisberger, right. like that top, top tier. The defense can't be this bad, and the offense, you have to give him something to work with. You've got to have some sort of run game. You have to have some sort of offensive line. Because as mobile as he is, you're starting to see 
it's really, really bad up front. And what scares me is if he's getting sacked six times in, in two games, imagine if you had a Matt Ryan right. or Joe Flacco Someone or somebody else mobility. He is able to, to elude some guys, and it's as bad as it gets. It started to concern me last night. I mean, so if you're building that team, you say to yourself, I've got Russell Wilson. He can extend plays. Um, he can help receivers get open, open by his ability to extend plays. So, so we can like maybe not have top tier talent at, at the wide receiver core, right? And he can help. Uh, but to your point, that's all predicated on him having a little bit of time, right? A little, an ability to kind of sit back there, um, make the defense adjust as he's scrambling out. Like there's a threat of him moving and now someone springs open because he's bought the time. Um, he doesn't have the time to make any of that magic no. happen. So the receiver core, there's got to be some separation there. And I'm watching, look, I love Brandon Marshall. Brandon's my dude, but Brandon's like 63 years old now. Like these, like there's <laughs> right. really he's nothing. Never, he's never been a separator. He's been a big body a big, type a target, right? Yeah. But, and then there's nothing else around the edges of that. And I started to get concerned last night while I was watching and Russ had, I, I fell asleep on it, but Russ had dropped back a few times. He had had a, the almost safety, you know, and then a couple other plays like that where maybe he held the ball too long. And then I saw him like just starting to like panic a little bit. Right. And then getting out of there and just flipping balls to uh, a running back that was like three feet in front of him. Yep. I've never seen him look like that, where, where it looked like there was a little bit of uh, every, panic going on. Every single quarterback. It doesn't matter if it's the best of all, if it's Tom Brady, if it's Joe Montana, if it's Dan Marino, if you hit somebody enough, if you get to them enough, it's going to take its toll. They, they will start hearing footsteps. They will start seeing ghosts. Yeah. It's human nature. You can't eliminate that. Now, the best ones come back, and they're able to the next week kind of start fresh. Even right. sometimes in games, they're able to make that adjustment. I think they've got to start running the football a little bit too more. Pete Carroll talked about some of the struggles in the run game and what was going on there last night. It's there's we, we had uh, we were so low in safeties and linebackers that he had to play. He's, he's a fantastic special teams guy, and so he just had to stay in there. That was not the design going into the season, but this week he just had to do it, and and uh, it helps out. But uh, he'll play more. There was nothing about his play that kept him out of there. Um, we didn't get enough chances, and I wanted to get Rashad going a little bit and see what, see where he is and see where he is in his development. So he's obviously talking about Chris Carson, running back, who also plays special teams. Looked like he was getting gas there. Uh, you had Rashad Penny, who was, you know, with NCA's leading rusher last year, trying to get him walked into this into this offense. The problem is their offensive line isn't very good. They're playing from behind, and then as an offensive play caller, you get into this. Well, we got to start throwing the ball around, right. and then your quarterback is a sitting duck. I don't want to spend too much time in the Patriots because they lost. I think we should spend some time in the Bears because this team all of a sudden looks. Like a legit football team. And I think it starts with a defensive side of the ball. And no, you don't have to look much further than Khalil Mack. The trade they made, we heard, we, you know, we talked about John Gruden saying we have to generate pass rush. This guy is an impact player. And I think there are really three of them. It's Aaron Donald, which is unique because he's an interior player. It's Von Miller with the yeah. Broncos. And Khalil Mack is an absolute beast on the defensive side of the ball, terrorizing quarterbacks everywhere he goes. And you get that type of performance, it helps everybody else on the defense look better. Right. I think, you know, I don't know what I want to liken that to in terms of like an NBA team where you had a like really good roster, right? You had some really good pieces around it and you were like right, you were teetering on being like, you know, top notch and then you drop something in and, and it just makes it all work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so he, for, for me, like obviously he's fantastic, but, to that Bears defense, like that was like the missing cog in what they wanted to do. That that defense is legit, right? Like, and we talked about it a few weeks ago about the Bears and Chicago in general. Like, 
that's who they are, right? Yeah. Like defensive team. What scares me about them, and it's not really scary, but the jury's out, right? Mitchell Trubisky's a young quarterback. Um, I know that they think the ceiling is really high, and maybe it is, but they're trying to capitalize, right? Like, kind of like what Russell Wilson and the Seahawks did a few years ago, right? Where you've yes. got this young quarterback that you think can handle it. Um, you're, you, well, they had Marshawn Lynch. I don't know that the Bears have that running game, but you've got this magnificent defense. You can go out and spend the money, trade for Khalil Mack, and, and it all is predicated on you not having to spend money at the quarterback position. Russell Wilson was good enough. Right. And he proved to wind up being one of your top tier quarterbacks in the NFL. The question is, will Mitchell Trubisky, cause he's got some weapons. The question is whether he'll wind up being Russell Wilson-esque in those first few years, allowing them to capitalize on the window that they're in right it's now. It's very rare you can win when a quarterback throws two interceptions like Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, it happens obviously, but right. they didn't run the ball that well this was a defensive win where their defense was dominant mm -hmm. 10 sacks leads the nfl here's where khalil mack the impact he has on other players around him right prince amukamara had the pick six to kind of seal the game yeah. with them he's able to jump that route because he has confidence that russell wilson doesn't have all day right. a lot of times if you start jumping routes teams will double move you they do a little pump fake over the top or they'll do a deeper route he has enough confidence and it's, it's a risk. It was a gamble and it was a great play from him and it was a bad play from Russell Wilson. But the fact that they're pressuring, they're getting so much pressure on the quarterback's face speaks to everybody else all of a sudden. They're, they're kind of fine tuned. They can take those types sure. of risks on the outside. And when you start sliding protections, when you start having to keep in, you know, a tight end to help with Khalil Mack, it throws everyone off their game. So a huge one for them. So I think the Bears, I think, this Matt Nagy, my guy, my boy, with teammates in the New York Dragons. Yeah, you I got his name, his you got his name figured out. Yeah, yeah. His, his innovation, like the little shovel pass early, some of the ways he's using play action to kind of take the pressure off of Mitch Trubisky mm -hmm. is the perfect scenario. And you're right. It is similar to what other teams have done. Russell Wilson, when he was younger, they didn't ask him to do a whole lot. Ben Roethlisberger, when he won with the Steelers, didn't ask him to do a right. whole lot. You can win with this formula, uh, formula if your defense is Top in the NFL and the Bears are contending for that title. So yeah. we'll have to see if they can, uh, can put something together. Um, all right. So there's the other big NFL news on a Monday. So going into the weekend, it was reported that Josh Gordon was going to be re released from the Browns. And then over the weekend, teams are calling saying, well, hold on a second. Yeah. Don't let him hit the waiver. Like, <laughs> what, what if we trade for him? Right. Surprise, surprise. This was, this I think was a pretty, uh, big surprise for a lot of people. I don't know why, because this is what they do. So the Patriots and the, and the Browns worked out a deal. It's going to send Josh Gordon to New England. Uh, fifth round conditional pick. And so now you've got a team in the Patriots who have a need at wide receiver. They do not have a weapon. This to me is a total risk, but I think it could be worth the reward, obviously, because Josh Gordon is an incredibly talented wide receiver. My thing is, because I was always this, you know, how does he fit offensively? How does he fit with a scheme? My concern for Josh Corden is where is he mentally and where is he with his addiction issues that right. he struggled with in the past? If he can, if he can straighten out his personal life, he could help this team take it to the next level. So you've got Philip Dorsett, um, 12 receptions, 110. Chris Hogan, four receptions, 53 yards. And Cordero Patterson, four receptions for 24 yards. Uh, Josh Gordon could hop in there this week and possibly out receive all of them oh, in the first two sure. games. Like he's that talented. I mean, I say that in jest, but seriously, like the level of talent, um, if it's just there and it's low hanging fruit, like that's a Patriots move. As soon as I heard that they were letting him go, I swear, I wish I had a mic. I was like, oh, that's the Pat the Pats are all over that, right? Especially because yep. they're so depleted in terms of the talent level on on uh in the receiving core. I don't see this as a long term play for the Patriots. 
Right. Um, they typically don't take these type of risk, um, and, and want to ride with them because there is a shelf life, um, on a guy that has this many issues, right? But for right now, in the scenario that they find themselves, he's a good fit. And I think he will be on best behavior. I think he will. Here's now, the thing. substance abuse isn't something that, that, that's not always something that you can control. I right. get that there, 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 there are other factors involved in that, but I think you bring a guy in, you know what you're dealing with. Um, you've got one of those guys. You've got a really healthy culture in New England and a support staff around. I, I think that you could shelter him. What was the baseball player's name? Um, Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton, where they yeah. did that to him for a while. Now it didn't wind up working long term. There were some some setbacks, but in the in the one season scenario, I think it works for them, and I think he's gonna have a lot of success there with Tom Brady. Like Tom Brady, when's the last time Tom Brady had a weapon like that? Randy, Randy Moss. Moss, and he tore it up. Tore it like up. He had a record setting season. I think you're onto something, and I think the Patriots should look into that. You had the similar situation with Des Bryant, not for so much, but just for like behavior, like immaturity sure. issues. They kind of put it. They said, "Hey, we're gonna have him on a curfew. We're gonna watch him." It does feel like this is someone. Maybe you hire somebody specifically for this to hold his hand, to hold Josh Gordon's hand, to keep an eye on him, to be around him 24-7. I'm talking about almost like a live-in roommate type totally. situation to keep him away from his demons, to help him get to practice on time, to help him be a professional. And here's what I would try to tell Josh Gordon. We're trying to help you. And I, you know, obviously the Patriots do this from a selfish perspective. I think the Browns really did try to help him. They tried to extend opportunity, second chance, second chance. Couldn't do it. But this, to me... Is one of those ones where, and this really is his last chance, where you say, look, we are going to do everything we can to put you in a chance to succeed. What do you need? The problem is it has to be Josh Gordon that yeah. buys into it. Help us help you, bro. But you don't, and I, you know, talking to, you know, friends and family members that have had friends and family that have issues, sure. addiction issues, it can be the most frustrating, frustrating spot to be in when you're willing to do everything and the person just still doesn't respond to it. And that hopefully is where, Health-wise, you hope that Josh Gordon sure. finally gets it so he can get it turned around. Because I think it would be an amazing story because, like I was saying, he's one of the most talented players we've seen in the league, period. And he's only played 11 games since 2013. Uh, other news. Our boy Debo is pumped up. Uh, you know why? No, Carson what, Wentz got oh. that feeling. Okay. He, got, he posted the video, said he's back. He's been cleared. He comes back week three. It's been a little bit ugly for the, uh, the Eagles. They got the ugly win. Despite, you know, getting knocked around a little bit, uh, uh, in Atlanta week one, then go down to Tampa and they get Ryan Fitzmagic, to get, you know, on them. Now in they, fairness, everyone's getting Fitzmagic. Right <laughs> that now. is true. And now they get their boy back. I, I think the most important thing for this Eagles team is to figure out the protection up front, to kind of figure things out offensively and get past the Super Bowl cloud hangover, whatever you want to call it. In order to do that, like they've got to get back to work and kind of get back to the basics and get back to doing what they do well, which is running the football, protecting their quarterback, and trusting them to like make plays and work the ball downfield. Yeah, um, you have to get back in, in Philly sometimes with that hangover comes up. You forget about the process, right? Yep. Like you, you forget about what, what actually got you there. Um, and now you're just kind of like, we're at the top of the mountain. We're going to stay here. It doesn't work like that. You have to get back to the process. Every year that you start again, um, you have to get back to the process. And to some degree with Carson Wentz, um, head coaching and, and offensive coordinators are going to have to get back to the process of figuring out what this version of Carson Wentz looks like, right? Yep. Because coming off major injuries like that, while you may come back healthy, they're going to be timing issues. They're going to be different things that you have to, that you have to factor in. And so from a play calling perspective, it might take you a half. It might take you a game. It could take you two games to start figuring out 
what this version of Carson Wentz looks like, how I can get him in rhythm, and what we can look like, you know, what our optimum like level offensively looks like. Um, and so I would just tell Philadelphia fans to be patient. If they get back to the process, I think because of the defense, you know that Carson Wentz is a gamer. Um, it can be the ceiling can be really really high again this year, but don't panic if it doesn't look great yep. right off the bat because it just takes some time. Here's the thing too. It's and this is the hard part. It's more so than the hangover. It's losing pieces. John DeFilippo left. They have yeah. Mike Rowe, new offensive coordinator. So people are still trying to figure them out. The good thing is you have Doug Peterson, who's an offensive mind, kind of keeping things together. But you also have Darren Sproles out right now. You've got Alshon Jeffrey dealing with issues. Mike Wallace is out indefinitely. Last year, this team was able to overcome a lot of injuries. This year, they're having that injury bug again. A lot of it's about staying healthy, figuring out ways to do it. They've done it before. Thing is, can they do it again? If, That's the big question. If you're going to be injured in, in most major sports, be be injured early, provided yes. you can still get into the playoffs. Right. And that was the huge win yeah. while they put the, the win against Atlanta without Carson Wentz. They were able to get. Like I think if you're a, an Eagles fan, you said, "Hey, we can go one and one without him, yep. without Carson Wentz." You take that all Absolutely. day. And they set themselves up pretty well. All right. Let's take a break. We're going to get back and do some college football. My reaction to the AP Top 25, which I can't stand. And I'm going to give you the best (laughs) top eight in college football. Coming up next. All right, let's do some college football. Because of the weekend, we've had a little bit more clarification. We saw a lot more upsets. We saw some panic set in certain fan bases. We're going to have to dive deep into that in a little bit. (laughs) Uh, But the AP poll was released. And I think no surprise to anybody, you had Alabama receiving 58 first place votes. I think I'm surprised that uh it's even there's anybody else receiving any votes. It, someone else Clemson Clemson has three first place votes, which you know, hey, I can right, I, I can, can understand those okay. those are probably South Carolina area Clemson reporters that are probably putting them in there. Um Georgia's two, Clemson's three, Ohio State's four, Oklahoma's five. LSU was the big jump uh after their impressive win on the road against Auburn, totally deserving of that one. Uh, Stanford had a nice little jump up after they've been probably the, the surprise team in the in the Pac-12. Uh, and I don't know why they should be because they're always good. David Shaw always has them. Auburn, no shock here, playing in the SEC. They lose to, S, uh, to LSU. They only drop two. If that was another conference, they'd drop about seven or eight because it's SEC. Right. Keep them up there high. Uh, if you can hear my displeasure with that, I hope you can because I'm not being sarcastic about that. That is a fact. Um, so this is, this is the AP uh, rankings. Not bad. But if you want the true... Yeah. True ranking. Absolutely. My poll. My top eight are right here. This is what you should be reading into. This is what you should glean from college football. Alabama, no surprise. Ohio State, what they did against TCU on the road, what they've shown with Dwayne Haskins, the ability to take this team to the next level offensively without their head coach there, totally deserving for there. They're fourth in the AP. I don't, I think it's the resume. I guess people look at TCU as not a worthy opponent and not as impressive as some of the other games that have been played out there. I think it's legit. Clemson to me, three and zero, taking care of their business. Oklahoma looks great with Kyler Murray. So you've got all these listed teams. I have Stanford up there, LSU, Penn State. I don't think is getting enough love from the uh, AP voters. They have them tenth, a couple spots lower than that. <clears throat> but when you look at mine, so Ohio State really for me has been super impressive. Yeah, and I feel like this is a team that has been galvanized by a really ugly such ugly circumstance, right? Like Urban Meyer, the Zach Smith thing, it's been the Me Too movement. It's been, you know, it's just a, a huge cloud that's hanging over the program. I think they've done a fantastic job as far as football goes of keeping the team focused, taking it to the next level and handling their business. Uh I do too, but I didn't I wasn't really worried about them. I thought that a situation like that, first of all, they had really capable 
assistant coaches, multiple guys who had have worn the head coach yes, hat, yeah. right? Um, so there's some stability there from a positional standpoint. And then typically in situations like that, um, the way you paint that picture to your team is it's us against the world, right? Like, and I don't mean to take anything away from the urban situation. I'm not, I'm not getting into like who was wrong and who was right. right. But as I would paint the picture to my team, it would be, they're all out to get us. They're all out to get coach Meyer. Like we have to galvanize right now. This is us. We have to beat everyone else. And when you can do that and the kids buy into that, uh, you'll have a level of success. That distraction won't matter. You'll use it as more, as more sharpening of focus than distracting you from the, from, uh, from the end goal. So I'm not really that surprised. I thought it was a good win too that TCU win. I think TCU is actually better than than so I th- That's the problem I have is people come out and they'll say, "Well, they should have blown out TCU." No, you're going on the road. It was essentially a road game. It's 20 minutes away from their campus even though it was played in Arlington at Jerry's World. Yeah. It's still a, it's still basically a home game for TCU. Gary Patterson is one of the best defensive minds in all of college football in the last decade. Always has his team playing with that chip on his shoulder. I thought Ohio State withstood the punches. I mean, this is what, this is what, it's like a boxing, uh, um, analogy. Heavyweight champions, you'll see them get punched. They'll take the punches. Right. Yet they come right back. And when you see Ohio State come back in the fourth quarter and respond the way they did with three touchdowns in the four minute span in the fourth quarter, that's what heavyweight champs do. They take the hit and then they punch right back. That's the same thing I thought was Clemson too when they went on the road against Texas A&M. Right. Questionable call at the end with the fumble out the back of the end zone, but still they withstood some punches and they didn't blink right in the face of it. That's what good teams do. I think that Texas, the Texas A&M for Clemson was less of a win, in my opinion. Less impressive. And less impressive, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, Ohio State win. I, look, that, the pace of that offense, the pace with which, uh, what's quarterback's name? Robinson from, uh, TCU? Yeah, Sean Robinson. Yeah. I mean, that, look, when you don't practice against that and you're not used to seeing that every week, like, that can be really, really daunting. And even if you do try to practice again, it's not the same in practice as it is in the game. That was hyperspeed. It yeah. was hyperspeed. It looked yeah. like they played faster than just about everybody else I saw. I am concerned about the, uh, I am concerned about the Nick Bosa injury though going forward. I know there are like a lot of like these major like SEC schools where they just reload at the different positions, but he's kind of a special. He might be the best. Player. Him and Ad Oliver would fight for the title of best, most impactful defensive player in the entire country. Right. He is a force to be reckoned with. Much like we we're talking about Khalil Mack earlier in the podcast, he's that type of player for them. Huge that they get Urban Meyer back now. I'm telling you. Players, you talked about it too. It doesn't diminish the seriousness of the situation, but players can use I don't even want to say cause because it's not a cause, but they'll rally around certain things. Right. They'll look at this and say it's us against the world. Everyone's been trying to tear us apart. We will respond to this because it, it'll bring them together. And I'm sure that's what Urban Meyer is telling them too. And nobody wants to hear that because you don't want to diminish the situation, but it's a fact. It's what's happening totally. at Ohio State right now. He comes back to get the warm-up game against Tulane. Then on the road at Penn State, we'll find out exactly how good this team is. And, I mean, I hadn't watched a whole lot of them, but Dwayne Haskins, and I don't even think he played great against TCU. Yep. He's real deal. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's the real deal. deal. I was, I, it's interesting because we, you know, we haven't dived into the Heisman race yet. It's way too early for that. I think it's as wide open as it's been. A lot of times early in the season, Lamar Jackson goes out there a couple years ago, you know, lights it up, you know, everybody's giving him the Heisman. There's nobody out there that is really, you know, saying, Hey, we got Tua Tongavalova's having a good, but you know, the schedule's been so weak. Yep. Hasn't had that moment. Dwayne Haskins for me might be one of those guys that you say, All right, if you want to take a flyer on this one, I could see him absolutely being in that picture at the end of the season. And he's gonna have a huge Heisman moment opportunity in a couple weeks when he goes on the road against uh Penn State. Right. Uh so alright, so uh LSU. AP has them six, I have them seven, not that far off. 
You, you like LSU? Oh, yeah, for you. So this, you are a hurricane. <laughs> Explain why you're all of a sudden excited why LSU looks so good. No, I mean, I'm fired up because at initially, like, no one was giving LSU a lot of credit. And for uh, for me, for a fan, it looked like a terrible loss because we were 21. But then, if you know, obviously, if they keep climbing the poles and knocking off the Auburns of the world, and if they can stay, you know, in that relevant top 10 conversation for the whole year, like Miami, our path uh to potentially getting to play in a, in a BCS like yeah. playoff. I mean, I mean, this is obviously me shooting for the stars, but it would require us running the table in the ACC and then be- beating Clemson. And then we've got to be considered if LSU, you know, is one of those top five programs in the country. This is college football today. If you lose to a team, you want that to be a good loss. So absolutely, if you're a Miami Hurricane fan, you're saying, let's go LSU. Joe Burrow. The- <laughs> Joe Burrow. <laughs> Beat them right. all. And I, so LSU is a team that a lot of people coming in the preseason, Said, oh, this could be a rough year for Ed O'Dron. I was one of those people. I said, uh-oh, I don't, this team looks like they could be in for a rebuild year. Joe Burrow, who knows how he's going to be coming in from Ohio State. Still not great, Joe Burrow, no, yeah, but. Exactly. But he's, he's got sort of a, a moxie about yeah. him. And a lot of times if you're figuring your way out, cause look, he's just learning the system. Didn't even play in the spring cause he was trying to win the Ohio State job. He's still getting comfortable in the system. But what you saw from him in the fourth quarter, was you saw a guy who just found a knack for making plays, yeah. found a way to get the ball in the right guy's hands, and they came back and had that you know game-winning field goal at the end of that game. I think he's going to get better and better as the season progresses and he gets more comfortable in that system. So I think LSU is one of these teams that you look out for and say, all right, that SEC West, you know, watch out. This thing is wide open right now outside of BAM. It's really the battle for second. Um, I got a question, and this is, I mean, why don't, like you talk about states in terms of, football like talent richness right yeah and you always hear like texas you hear florida. cali and florida like why don't they ever talk about louisiana oh i, I you mean, are spot on like those dudes I think, every year oh yeah they and they're always there they'll have like some three star maybe a four star that was kind of under the radar a little bit probably more of three stars and they show up and they just got athletes yeah. all over the everywhere place. and Mississippi. Mississippi, Louisiana and Mississippi. Those are like they're just kind the of Delta. just dudes that show up yeah. and they're like country strong, you know, <laughs> like they got them on both sides of the ball everywhere. And they just show up and they just fly around and they're like, oh, that guy's a stud. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, maybe we should have recruited him. Everybody else is thinking the same thing. And they've got a ton of them on uh, on their team. So it'll be interesting to see, watch how they figure out why. Why did you have like that? My only. My only complaint about yeah. the top eight yep. is Georgia. Yep. Like, why would they drop all so the way down? So Georgia, for me, is getting a lot of love because of their win against South Carolina. The SEC East has been as bad as it gets, right? I think everybody would you know, agree with that. Florida just lost to Kentucky. Yep. You're trying to see a team that would pop up there. I don't. You're talking about Miami's loss looking a little bit better. I think that the, the win against South Carolina, I don't know how impressive it is. I don't think it's as impressive as... Clemson going on the road to Texas A&M. Right. Some, some, I see, like fans might get mad at me for saying that. I think Texas A&M is a better team than South Carolina. Uh, same with Ohio State going to TCU. I think those wins are more impressive and the environments with which they played in than what Georgia. Now, South Carolina was fired up for that game, but it was, Georgia was clearly the better team. At, see, here's where I would adjust to. If South Carolina looks better, I'll go ahead and bump Georgia back up. I have no problem doing that. The other thing too, I want to see what they do at quarterback. I need to see more stability there. Same thing with Clemson to some extent. Yeah. But I've seen, you know, just a little bit more from Clemson. It's not – my poll doesn't matter, like, to be honest with you. Like, if you guys are upset at me, people are upset about it. Like, you know, I'm not a voter for the playoff committee. It's just like I look at them and I, if they squared off today, yeah. it was Georgia versus Clemson, 
I would say Clemson would win. Same thing with Ohio State. If I had Ohio State versus Georgia, I would pick Ohio State to win. And that's a lot of times what it boils down to for me. Like, which team do I think is better uh, on the field at the same time? All right. We gotta get the elephant in the room. Yeah, I mean, you just, you just danced around him for like. Yeah, I've been avoiding Hannah this morning. Like, I took the long way around, so I didn't. I thought we were gonna like a face paint or something, <laughs> no, like no, something, no. Hannah. So, Florida State, it's been ugly. I had to post an emergency video out there to the fans saying, hold, oh, don't jump off just yet. Don't, don't go out there. Willie Taggart comes out and basically asks for some patience, which yeah. I think is a smart thing to do. Right? What else can you do? <laughs> so here's his quote. Our fans have every right to have high expectations of our program. And I can assure you that no one has higher expectations than I do. We have a proud history and tradition of, of football at FSU, and it is in our shoulders to carry on the torch. And our fans, students, alumni, former players deserve a team that plays better than what we have seen so far. Our program has some tremendous young men who are determined to get it fixed and who are committed to turning this around, a group of coaches who are looking at everything, including ourselves. It's the perfect message that you would want to hear from Willie Tyler. You ever seen the Peanuts like uh the Peanuts uh like movie or yeah that's what that is. I'm not hearing that. I'm Bro. hearing a leader who's taking the you know taking charge right now, taking some ownership. That's what I'm hearing. Willie Taggart, um, while he may be the guy for Florida State in yep. the future. Um, there is real cause for concern right now. How much did he lose from the Jimbo Fisher roster from last year? Like, how much did he lose in terms of? They, they had some. They had some guys leave, but here's the problem. I think enough guys to be in games with Savannah State and be getting throttled by Syracuse at, on the road. Uh, I mean, you have- no. So here's the thing. I think there's one specific, very specific issue with Florida State's offensive line. The offensive line. Look, we talked about it with Russell Wilson earlier in the pod too. The offensive line is really, really bad. And the problem is, I don't know if it's going to get much better. Their defense, I actually think, has played pretty good. And now you say, well, how do you give up 30 against Syracuse? They are fighting their tails off through three quarters. And then all of a sudden, they're gassed at the end of the game. And when your offense goes up-tempo, which they're trying to do, if you're bad and you're having a bunch of three-and-outs, See, but you're, you're on, you're right back on the dude. field, and it gets demoralizing. You can't expect your defense to go out you there. You know what you can fighting. expect? What? You can expect your head coach to protect you. Like, if you want to run up-tempo, yep. and you know that you're not getting that done, and if, if you're sitting here talking about, no, no disrespect to you, no, no, but, like, other people in that program have to see that, I hey, look, our defense is on the field too much. Slow it down. Like, there got to be some what, adjustments made there should be. to protect. Like, you're right. fitting square pegs into round holes to some degree. And the true measure of a coach, I've said it before, it's not what you do when you have exactly what you want, right? Yep. If everyone got exactly what they wanted, like it, coaching would be easy. It's what you ha- what you can do with with like three fifths of what you really want. You know what I mean? Or when things go a little sideways, can you figure out how to get it done? And I I know, I promise you, like there's a faction of, of decision makers at Florida State right now that are at meeting on Monday mornings or Sunday afternoons wherever they are, and this catch job is in jeopardy. Like he, they might it not say be, it, though. they might not say it publicly. Right. I, I'm not saying that it should be either, but I know for a fact, like with the rich tradition of Florida State, yep. there is a faction of them. It might not even be the whole committee. It might be like five members of the committee that make the decisions. Oh, they're 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 already talking about getting rid of Willie Taggart. The people that are talking about getting rid of Willie Taggart. I don't know what lang- I don't want to use any language, but they're idiots. Yeah. Like I, and I would say something worse. It's been three games. The people that are starting GoFundMe page, eight different GoFundMe page to you know to raise money to to do a buyout, are 
the worst kind of fans that you can have. The negativity, the complaints, they're already saying, hey, we need to fire somebody. That's not doing anybody any good. True. And I would say the same thing for anybody who's panicked. And you don't hear as much panic at some of these other programs, but Scott Frost got off to a rough start at Nebraska. Has he won a game? Has he won a game yet? It's been rough. Chip Kelly, same situation at UCLA. He was the hottest name in college football. Let's get him back in college football. It's been atrocious for him at UCLA. When you hire a new coach, you are starting over. Yeah. Starting from scratch. FSU last year, you talk about being different. They were ranked a hundredth in the nation last season as an offense. This year, they're, uh, this year, they're close to being as bad. 99th worst team quarterback protection last season. So some of those issues that were there, they're recurring. And there's something that will take time to get over, but it's not like he was inheriting this Look, offense that was top 25. Here, and I'm not going to get into this because it's not our job on this show, right. but there, there, there are other factors when you consider like you name you name three coaches. Yes, uh, it, one of them right. Is different, and than I had others. a problem with that because Dan Wolken from USA Today wrote an article, and I'm not accusing him of anything, but there is, and there are some factions of people that will blame race for the hire, I'm, and they'll be more critical of one, and that is not fair. But that shouldn't come into it at all. But I'm with you. It is we would we wouldn't be genuine if we wouldn't say it wasn't a real factor in what's going on right now. Some of the heat that's taken on from Willie Taggart. So I, look, I, Willie hasn't done a great job. Right. Like, and I'm not, I'm not, so I want to be clear. He's not the only one. (laughs) Um, and it's too early. It's, but it is really early to be talking about. Too early. Yeah, for sure. All right. Got to take a break. Favorite segment of the week. (laughs) What did I do now? I don't even know what I did now. I don't even know if we're doing it for sure. It's on the rundown, but we'll find out that and socially relevant coming up next. Welcome back to Off the Bench, Jenny. Before we get to what you did over the weekend, I just have to talk about Syracuse really quickly. I am bringing you a hat or a jersey or something tomorrow. Are we doing this tomorrow? Because we're doing it. I, I might be sick tomorrow. Some, yeah. Come on, some I don't orange know if I paint something. Here. Here's the thing. Syracuse is pretty good. That's the thing. All these people are like kicking Florida State like, what an awful loss. Syracuse is a good team. That's Watch. what I've been Babers is a good coach. Watch. They're going to have a good season. Then people are going to be like, that wasn't that bad of a loss for Florida right. State. Right. Yeah. All right. So this right. is typically our Monday tradition. But because someone wasn't in studio yesterday, we've got you covered with Danny's most talked about moments on social media from over the weekend. So first things first, on Saturday, Danny tweeted out, it's Bama's world. We're just living it. We're all just living in it. So here are some of the responses. They said, who are you and what have you done with Danny Cannell? Another one said, surely he's been hacked. And then the last one, this is great. Nice, Danny Cannell, but you still can't sit with us. <laughs> That's a good one right there. Here's the thing. I've always given credit where credit is due. Alabama looks incredible. Here's the thing. If they lose... I'm not going to go gift them a chance in the playoff because they look so good on paper. They continue to win out. They could be one of the best teams of all time. But don't come back at me after if I criticize them and say they don't deserve a spot in the playoff if they don't even win their division. That's why I took so much heat from Bama last year. Best Bama offense in the last decade? For sure, because they actually have a quarterback. They have a playmaker at quarterback. That's been the thing that's always been their one weakness. They haven't had many weaknesses. It's been that they've had game managers at quarterback. Now they got a playmaker back there. Awesome. So this next one was from Friday. Danny posted this pic with his feet up, making himself look comfortable. He said, view from the office today. So, of course, here come the responses. <laughs> Someone said, please respect the facilities and take your dirty hipster sneakers off the desk. Uh, sneakers were, those sneakers were nice, though. I, I thought they were, were nice. sweet. They're Bruins. Yeah. 
Another one says, proves no one likes you or wants you to be around. That was a good one. Empty stadium. Yes, that's true. And the last one says, sure, don't miss you on my TV. Homer. Get right here on CBS Sports HQ, my man Wayne Bigby. Holler at me. Come on. Come watch us. Fire it up. Let's do it. All of their little, like, what do you call them in the corners there? Those are their, like, little... Their names or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They've all got some kind of Bama, like, oh, the, yeah, yeah, Bama fans yeah. hate me. I will say this, the shoe comment, I got a lot of heat about the shoes. The shoes were sweet. They were vans. Oh, were those vans? Yeah, there were vans bad. with like the little, they were side on the checkers on the sole. Ah. Not like the full thing. I thought they were pretty sweet. I liked them. Yeah. yeah. I was more bothered by, when you attack my fashion, we got issues. <laughs> you can go after my football commentary, but don't touch the fashion. It's a dope view though. That was, <laughs> it was a dope yeah, view. It was serene. <laughs> don't touch the fashion. All right, now moving on to Socially Relevant, where I break down what you might have missed on social media outside of Danny's tweets. Danny, I have to say your tweets were pretty nice, though. It wasn't that bad. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm trying <laughs> to do better. <laughs> someone who's not so nice, Stefan Marbury, he spent a lot of the last decade playing professionally overseas in China. But it's safe to say that he's never really been this out of touch with the NBA world than he was this weekend. The 41-year-old went live on Instagram, boldly proclaiming that Duke Zion Williamson, who has yet to play a regular season college game, is better than LeBron James. He said, quote, Zion is going to destroy the whole planet. Zion is way better than LeBron. It's not even close. He don't have to touch a basketball, and he's better than LeBron. I said that. So, guys, he also said that LeBron can't shoot and that MJ is the best basketball player of all time. He really went off on this video. But going back to those Zion Williamson comments, what is up with this guy? All right, hold on. I want to hear it from his mouth. Yeah. Let me hear it from Stefan. I don't believe it. LeBron James. I'm not going to call him the best best basketball player to ever play because Michael Jordan is that. The reason why I would say he's not the best basketball player because he can't shoot. Only Zion has the opportunity to, to be better than Michael Jordan. Zion is better than LeBron. Why should he take in his hearts already? Oh, he's way better than LeBron. It's not even close. I said better than Jordan. I said it's not even close. He hasn't played on play one pro game. He don't have to touch a ball. That's how nice he is. And he better than LeBron. Yeah, he don't have to touch a basketball, and he's better than LeBron James. I said that. Your thoughts, Raja? All right. Do you remember when Stephon Mar- Marbury ate Vaseline when he was on? There? Like that? I'm just trying to whatever that my... night was. Like I think he's on the same stuff. Yes, there was. Hmm. <laughs> You know what? Can we just no? Is there any way? Hold on. I don't even know. Is there any way you could defend it saying Zion Williamson as a high schooler was more accomplished? No, wrong. Because the dude has more. He's got more YouTube videos dunking than LeBron. It's because they we didn't have the ability to capture every single one of LeBron's dunks and post them on Snapagram or whatever whatever they're going up on now. Listen, LeBron James in high school was regarded as potentially the best basketball player. Like, they had already projected him, like, universally. He did come as be- make an impact. Yeah, correct. Well, this I don't- kid, there are not many people saying that about Zion Williamson. Right. People are saying he's a good player. He wasn't even, wasn't even number one in his class. He's a really good dunker. Obviously, he's a physical specimen, but... Steph, bro, I don't know, I don't know where you posted. Stuff, man, don't be eating the Vaseline. <laughs> Whatever he's got going on. Not all organic is good for you, bro. I'm glad we had that video, and I'm really glad I didn't act that one out <laughs> and try to say that. 
Can you try it now? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, right. we got to go find some Vaseline first. All right, moving on to Pittsburgh. Steelers star receiver Antonio Brown dodged reporters after a nine-catch, 67-yard performance and a loss to the Chiefs on Sunday. So on Monday, when a tweeter suggested that he should, quote, thank his lucky stars that he was with the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger, Brown took the bait. He tweeted back, quote, trade me, let's find out. So Danny Raja, obviously he's just clapping back at someone after a bad loss, but this isn't the first time he's lashed out on social media so what's really going on here i love it so i think antonio brown is a competitor like i love that he's pissed off that his team lost the thing that's unique about that comment it came from a kid that worked on the pr staff with the steelers and had just left he's been out a year ago because i was like how did he find this random comment it was a kid that actually worked for the steelers i'm glad he went out there and said it back to him it's interesting i think that gives you a little glint glimpse into like what's going on there there's there's that's an unhappy locker room right now. Right. They're, they got the Le'Veon Bell stuff. And, yes, I'm fine with him clapping back. But, like, that sentiment, if I were the, the Steelers, I'd be like, bro, it's it's like that. Like, right. you're just tra- – like, And you don't want to put that comp- – you could have gone a lot of different – Of course. Not the trade me. Once you say that, now as an organization, I'm sitting around like, what? Wait, it's that It's that easy? Like He was yelling on the sideline. There were a couple times he was over there yelling at a few people. Now, he's historically, he's thrown coolers. Last year, early in the season, was throwing a water cooler. When he was ticked off, he wasn't getting balls thrown his way. I think he's one of those guys that just is very emotional – Sometimes you get you get close to that line. You should you know that pretty yeah, well. Yeah, I know the you line. Cross that line sometimes. Other times you wish you couldn't. I think he's that type of guy, and I think this is just him venting his frustrations after the fact. I would not be worried about Antonio Brown. Why does Ben get a pass in 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 Pittsburgh? <laughs> what? In Pittsburgh, why does he get a pass? So, why he gets a pass, bro? Well, he still goes out there and throws for four hundred yards, and has his team in a spot to win. He's got a couple pass. Super Bowls. Like he's I'm, right. I, I don't know. Ben's a nice dude. I got to meet him in Phoenix. I ain't got no beef. With ben. <laughs> all right, just so we clear that up. Yeah, yeah. Ben's my guy too. All right, guys, that's all for socially relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canal and Bell. Coming up next, Danny and Raja run through today's leftovers. Stay with us. You're watching Off the Bench. All right, welcome back. We get some leftovers here as I'm showing Raja the Stefan Marbury where he uh, actually <laughs> takes like a huge scoop of Vaseline, goes in there and eats it like it's peanut butter. What? And I don't know. He was talking about some of the health benefits of it. We almost threw up a little bit in my mouth watching. <laughs> oh. that. Yeah, well, maybe we'll have to do that. Oh, what is, hey, bro. We'll re- a throwback. We'll do that throwback Thursday for leftovers since oh. we get to talk about it. Uh, you know, we have Black Monday in the NFL when mm-hmm. a bunch of coaches get fired. Yesterday was Black Monday for NFL kickers, as you saw. Uh, both Daniel Carson and Carlson and Zane Gonzalez both got axed from their teams. I don't think, I don't know. It's not really a surprise. I mean, Mike Simmer was asked about it. He said, well, what, you know, why, why'd you cut him? And he's like, you saw the game, right? Like, hello. It's a, it's a statistical bottom line business. If you don't perform, you're going to be out of a job. That's exactly what you saw play out. Yeah, I don't I don't know why anyone would be surprised by this. Like both of those kickers had opportunities to win games. Uh the and kid back to back week correct Gonzalez. That's what I was gonna say next. Like and and for like that's it's not a surprise. I mean I don't have a lot to say about it other than right. like go back, perfect your craft a little bit more, maybe get you know, figure out a way to get those nerves under control. Here's one thing too where it's so much more like if those are quarterbacks and you throw three or four picks, like Nathan Peterman still has a job and he's been bad. It's a little bit different a kicker because oh, I feel so- about that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but I'm just telling you like that's how it goes. Like yeah. you put him in that spot. The kickers are in the worst spot because it's just they're a little bit more 
You know, I have a huge beef Spendable. with kickers. I have a, there's a you kid on do. my son. So my kid, my son See? plays on a Pop Warner football game, a Pop, Pop Warner football team. Yep. There's a minimum play requirement, right? Um, so that means every kid on your roster has got to play like 10 plays. They keep a kicker. This is at 11 years old. Um, this kid kicks four plays like. Wait, he's a kicking specialist in Pop Warner? He comes to practice <laughs> and he, all he does with his dad is stand on the side and kick damn footballs. He kicks Tell him to go play footballs. soccer. I'm like, what? Why would we waste a roster spot exactly. on this kid? Like what? And he doesn't have to part. I was like, look, here's what, here's what we'll do. You give me my son. Yeah. He'll come over here and just throw balls to me all practice. Right. I don't want him hitting. I don't want him doing any of the rest of that. If we're like right. specific right now, I, it's the most, I get so frustrated with this. I like the kid. I like right. the dad. Why but the hell is he here? to be specializing. You know who kicked on our high school team? Yours truly. Right. All County. What's up? You know, you should have your kid. You should have him, but oh you God. should have him. Kick. He said to me the other day, I want to kick. This kid, they spend more time at the end of practice doing like, um, special teams, field goal work than they do anything else on their damn, on their team. <laughs> it's, right. it's super frustrating. All right. Do you guys run up the score? Mm, uh, yeah. If you did, would you apologize? I've not apologized. For oh, anything. all right. So South Dakota State, their coach, John Stiegelmeyer, he ran up the score 90 to six. Oof. That's pretty glaring. It's Still not apologizing. Like 70. That's 90. What were you supposed to do? The Jackrabbits, 926 yards of total offense. I don't know, take a knee. But here's the thing. You can't take a knee because that's more embarrassing. Exactly. It's more humiliating the other team. As long as he was putting in backups, we used to get accused of that at Florida State all the time. You'd put in other people and they'd still be good. They'd still be better. You don't, you want them to go have, play the game. Exactly. I've got a bench that I got to get in. What am I supposed to tell those kids to go in there? If you have a wide open layup, throw it out of bounds. First of all, it's not fair to them. Secondly, it's more embarrassing to the team that you're pummeling. So sometimes. What would you do if you were a head coach and you saw a player's dad tweeting Crushing your play calling, your coaching duties after three games. Yeah, that wouldn't probably. That would not jive well with me. If I'm Chip Kelly, I'm pretty hot. So Dorian uh, Thompson Robinson, very talented, true freshman quarterback, has gotten the opportunity to start early. Wilton Pate got this fake, got hurt. His dad is coming out just crushing Chip Kelly. I think it's an awful look. Again, like the fans, don't be a bad dad. This is putting more pressure on his kid. You can vent, but this is not the place to do it. That's go, out there. Or directly. I, I wouldn't even say go directly to coach because I don't think parents should even be in that spot. Not in college. No. no. Like, let it go. You trusted your kid after the year make a decision. If he's not happy, then have him leave the program. This is the LeVar Ball syndrome out there in L.A. Like, if it, it wasn't – parents used to not really be involved on that level. And if they were ballsy enough to do it, they would do it behind closed doors. Right. Now they're doing it via social media and stuff, and that is a bad look for your son. Yeah. Like, you are – to everyone else who may potentially want him next year. If it doesn't work out, you're just going to hop on Twitter and start like crushing the program. Yep. We got the Stefan Marbury up at Canel and Bell. Go check it out. Follow Disgusting. us on Twitter. Go watch. It's gross.